three. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, that's happy one. There you go. Good job. Uh, next Sunday, a week from today, we are going to have our volunteer vision night. And so we're going to meet together here um, at 6.30. And it, I promise it will not go past 8, but we'll have coffee and dessert. Okay, not dinner, but coffee and dessert. The elders met, and we met as a group and, and kind of... Uh, put together a vision for 2015, and we want to present that to you first, our volunteers. So if you're serving in any way here at Creekside, we want you there next Sunday night at 6.30. Look for another email about that. Coming up, uh, Creekside Live. We've had one before. We're going to have another one. This time we're inviting people from a bunch of other churches around Des Moines. So we want to get together on January 16th. That's a Friday night from 7 to 8 to worship together. We're going to have coffee and cookies and stuff here. Um, but we want you just to come and be able to rest in the presence of God and worship with us. And we're just going to worship and lift God up. Remember, as we worship, we think about what is good and right with God. And that puts into perspective everything in our lives, good or bad. Um, one thing I want to mention before Vance is going to come up here and make a special announcement is that at 3.15 a.m. this morning, Helen Westfall passed away. Um, and so really, I mean, two days ago, Larry called me and he just said, just pray that she goes soon. And so this is really an answer to prayer. We know her suffering is over and she, I'm kind of jealous of her. Um, and so because being in heaven is about seeing Jesus. And, um, and so we rejoice and we can be joyful for that, but pray for peace for the family um, and pray for art. Um, and the funeral, be looking for emails about that. The funeral is going to be in Atlantic. Um, sometime later this week. So Vance is going to come up here and, uh, and, and make a quick announcement for us. Good morning. As most of you know, over the last three or four months, the deacons and the elders of the church have gotten together, and one of the things that we thought there was a need for in the church was an administrative assistant, part-time position to help Nick out a little bit in all his duties. So we formed a small committee we listed the position in different areas. I think we had nine or 10 resumes we got. We formed a small committee, went over the resumes, interviewed some people, uh, and after spending some time in prayer, I think we found a good candidate. This is Kim Troja. I don't know if most of you probably know her. If you don't, say hi to her afterwards. Kim had been in the workforce for a long time had taken some time off to spend some time with her grandchildren. And about three months ago, she felt a little bit of an urge that she wanted to get back into the workforce in some kind of a part-time capacity. So we feel, once again, God has had his hands on this and brought Kim to us. So I'm just introducing you to you now, and uh, we think she'll do a great job. Everybody give her a hand. She's crazy enough. She's crazy enough and excited enough about this job. You remember all those decorations that were in here? She's going to hate me for telling you this, but remember all the decorations that were in here? I told her last week, hey, Kim, next week we come in, we're going to have to schedule a, uh, a time to have a bunch of people come in. She come in with her husband. So, Steve, sorry, you're part of this too. But she come with her husband yesterday and took it all down herself. I was like, you're, too little, you're making me look bad, but good job. Good job. I just want to pray for uh, Kim, Steve, and, and, and for us at church. God, thank you for, um, for Kim, and I just uh, pray your blessing upon her and, uh, and Steve, and I just thank you so much for her, and um, God, we want to see her uh, grow immensely in her relationship with you as she helps us do some things here at the church, and um, so I just pray that you would redeem her time. I pray that she would feel warm and welcome 
um, by our church congregation, and um, just thank you that you have put her in this position, that you have called her to this position, and um, God, we just ask your blessing upon her and her home um, and the work she will do here. So God, thank you again for providing for us. We love you, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12. We are going to be in Mark 12 today, and then the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about vision and mission, uh, both individually and corporately as a church here at Creekside uh, for for, uh, the 11th and the 18th. But I think this portion in Mark 12 kind of sets us up perfectly for those upcoming two messages. See, we can talk about mission And we can talk about vision, and we can talk about all we want to do for God and his kingdom. But if we don't grasp what Jesus is telling us in Mark chapter 12, what we're going to cover today, then all of the mission and all of the vision and all we want to do for the kingdom is really pointless. You know, Paul says in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 that if we don't have love, what are we? We're a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. We can have all the gifts We can feed the poor. We can do all of these things. But if we don't have love, it's pointless. And the portion here in Mark chapter 12 today is talking exactly about that. There's a a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, and he wants to have this conversation. He asks Jesus the question, what what are the major commandments? What are the most important laws that we should follow? And Jesus tells him simply, love God and love people. And this is the foundation for anyone who wants to follow God, who wants to pursue the things of his kingdom. If we do not grasp loving God and loving people, then we can talk about vision. We can talk about mission. We can talk about all the injustice in the world, feeding the poor, helping widows, all of these things. But if we don't grasp loving God and loving people, then we miss it. We miss the boat. So turn with me, if you would, Mark chapter 12. Let me read this to you, starting in verse 28. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus' words here. God, may we grasp as individuals and as a church just how huge this is, how radical this teaching of Jesus is to love God and to love people. Nothing is more important. 
This is the foundation. God, we, we pray that as we, we look at, at a familiar passage today, God, that you would teach us something new, something that would cause us to love you and follow you more deeply. We ask it and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I, uh, I, I sell real estate, and, and I was out showing houses this past summer. And we were in Waukee, and if you're familiar with Waukee at all, there's a gun range out in Waukee, and I've never fired a gun in my life, but I do know that there is a gun range in Waukee, all right? And so uh, we're showing a house that is somewhat over in that area. And so as we're, we're looking at the house, this guy and his wife, they, they love the house. I'm like, oh, man, we love this house. We, we could see ourselves living in this house. And so we spent a lot of time at the house looking at the house, and then they said, well, one thing that kind of bothers us is we know this is pretty close to the gun range. So it's all right, well, let's do this. Let's come back, and when we know it would be a peak time, when people were out here shooting their guns, whenever that might be. So we, we figure out when a peak time on a Saturday that people are out there shooting guns. And so we show up at the house. And sure enough, what can you hear? You can hear the gunshots in the distance. And so what we did is we went and started talking to some neighbors. And you can kind of hear the, the guns in the distance. And we're like, you know, how often does this happen to the neighbor? And he's like, what, what are you talking about? Well, the gunshots. Oh, the gunshots, yeah. You know what? We've lived here so long now that we don't even realize the gunshots. See, what had happened is they become so familiar with the gunshots off in the distance that it really was like second nature, didn't even think about it. But for us, who do not spend a lot of time there, it was very uh, irrelevant, very, uh, um, we could tell that the gunshots were going off, right? But to this guy, it was second nature. To this guy, it was very familiar, And I think oftentimes when we look at a passage like this, love God, love people, it becomes kind of second nature, doesn't it? It becomes familiar to us, a little too familiar. And so I want, as we look through this portion about loving God and loving people, I want us to look at it not not in that familiar sense like, oh yeah, here, here it is again, love God, love people, love God, love people. But I want us to hear it in a sense that like this Pharisee, this teacher of the law heard it, that this, the, the, the crowd heard it. They heard it in such a way, it was so radical to them that look at verse 34, what it says. In verse 34, it says, and from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Well, all he said is, man, all you got to do is love, man, right? Love, love's the answer, love's the key. But this teaching that Jesus has was so radical that it scared these guys so much that no one dared him ask him another question. Have you ever looked at it like that as you're reading through, love God, love people? So radical that this caused them, they were scared to go and ask him another question. That is how radical this teaching of Jesus loving God and loving people is. And we're going to see why here in a second. So one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is most important? Okay, now a couple things we want to look at. First of all, I think there is a lesson to be learned. In Jesus' teaching, as there always is, there's a lesson that we need to learn. But there's also a response, right? And the response we're going to talk about probably is going to lead, as we talk about loving God and loving people, our response is probably going to be a lot of what we talk about the next couple weeks. Our vision as a church here at Creekside and the mission that, that Jesus would have us be on, we're going to speak about the next two weeks, this is the lead-in, that it begins with loving God and loving people. And so here he comes and he asks them the question, 
there is obviously a lesson to be learned, but then there's a response to that, okay? And with any lesson, I think that we want to learn, it probably begins with a question, as it does here. So there's a question, this guy comes up and he asks. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is most important. So a couple things I want us to notice. First thing, he says, I heard that you had given them a good answer. Now, who's he talking about there? I heard you had given them a good answer. If, you, if we pick up where we left off last week with Nick, and he was sharing about the marriage at the resurrection. He's talking to a group here. Jesus is talking to a group prior to this called the Sadducees. Okay, now there's two groups we're going to talk about here. We've got the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now on this side, the liberal type is the Sadducees. Okay, now the Sadducees were a group, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in life after death. Okay, they didn't believe in any of this. So they're on one realm. The other realm is the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, they held, they want to hold tight to the law, they believed all these things. You can, you can imagine a, a debate forming, right? You have, you could probably think of uh, the far left side of a, being a Democrat and the far right side being a Republican, and somehow you got both of these here, okay, both of them here listening to Jesus. So understand kind of the conflict all going on here, Sadducees. Pharisees. So this is the group. He answered correctly. He liked how he answered the Sadducees in, in what Nick shared with us the week before. Here, it says, I heard you gave them a good answer. Okay? This guy, is, we, we find out, is a teacher of the law. Now, a teacher of the law would have been a Pharisee. Okay? Now, understand, told you what Pharisees are. They're kind of the, you know, the, the more conservative type. So on this side, we have the Pharisees. And the Pharisees now, a teacher of the law would have been a Pharisee. Not all Pharisees were teachers of law, but all teachers of the law were pretty much Pharisees. Okay, So this guy's a Pharisee. And he asked the question, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now understand, this isn't some random question he's coming out up with. This would have been probably a hotly debated issue in this time. See, in this time, there, there was, uh, the, the Pharisees said there was probably 613 distinguishable laws. If you read through the Old Testament, they would say, okay, here are 613 laws that we must follow. Okay? Here's a list, an overbearing list. Can you imagine 600, you, you thought 10 commandments was tough. Here are 613 laws that they were to follow. And the Pharisees, as teachers of the Pharisees, believed that if to gain God's blessing, to gain God's love, to gain God's acceptance, you needed to obey this law. So you can imagine how much of a burden this would be, how oppressing this would be that, man, the only way for me to, to gain God's favor is if I follow these 613 laws. It's the only way I can gain favor with God. And like any laws, they can be oppressing, can't they? I went to uh, kind of a conservative college a conservative Bible college that had a lot of rules. I remember my sophomore year showing up at college, and there was a tie on my door, tied on the little doorknob. There was a tie, and it had my name spray-painted on it. Okay, it was, I think it was kind of a turquoise tie with gray on there. Well, I come to learn a couple days in that there was a new rule that year that every Sunday you had to wear a tie to church and had to wear a tie to, to lunch as well. I don't like rules. Okay, and this one, at the time, I didn't, now I wear ties all the time, but at the time, I didn't like wearing ties, I didn't like anything like that, and I sure as heck didn't like somebody telling me I had to wear a tie. Okay, now, like a lot of things, when we look back on ourselves, we realize, you know, we're kind of an idiot, okay, so I look back on my 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old self, and okay, he's an idiot, 
And all of us do that in our life, and I'm sure 20 years from now, I'll look back, same thing, right? I'm an idiot. Some of you think that right now. I wish you'd figure that out sooner. But here's the reality. At this point in my life, you know, I I didn't like these laws that they were trying to make me wear a tie. And so I said, I'm not wearing a tie. So then I didn't wear a tie, and I had to go talk to the dean and said, oh, fine, I'll wear a tie. And I started just wearing that tie that was turquoise with gray on there and looked nice with all my T-shirts. Okay, so I I eventually followed the law. But my my junior year, some more laws. a friend of mine was in RA uh, in, he, on my floor, so we went back, and one of the rules the school had is you couldn't have a TV and anything like that, so you know, what I think about laws. And so what I did is uh, I, I had some shelves under my bed, so I had a TV and a PlayStation, and I put them under my bed. And again, I look back at my old self, okay, I'm not justifying my action here, but what I did is I, I put them under my TV, but then my blankets covered them up so people couldn't tell I had a TV and PlayStation in my room. And then I'd pull them out, set my TV on there, and we'd play a little Madden, me and my friends, all but one of my friends who was my RA. I didn't, we didn't want to let him know because we didn't get in trouble. So then that one day my RA walks in when one of my other friends is playing on the Madden, uh, playing on the PlayStation, playing Madden. I come back to my room later. Everything is gone. It's been taken. I get mad at my RA. I start yelling at him, as you can imagine, because um, uh, in this situation he ended up in tears uh, but you understand, because it's Tim, you understand that he is an emotional type of guy. Our friendship made it through, okay, and all is well, hopefully, today. But the, the bottom line is, if you're like me, and like a lot of people, rules can be oppressing, can't they? And here they are, they have 613 laws, rules they need to follow. And as they're trying to follow 613 laws and rules, this can be oppressing. I mean, how, how can you... Meet, how can you live up to all these different laws and rules? You couldn't, could you? And so for them, this guy, he's the reason he's asking the question. Why is he asking the question? Well, I can't reach, I can't meet, I can't do all of these 613 laws, 613 rules. So Jesus, tell me, which are the ones? Okay, I I know I can't do this, but if you give me a couple, if you give me a couple that I can hang on to and cling to, maybe I can achieve this. Maybe I can do this. Maybe if there was only one or two that were really important, then I could actually earn that favor with God. And I can actually earn the blessing and love from God. That's what he's after in here. He wants to know what are the minimum requirements that it's going to take. And I think this is a problem that we all have. It's just like him. What are the minimum? What, is, what do I have to actually do to achieve this, to earn this blessing and this love and this favor from God? And Jesus responds in verse 29. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with your, all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So Jesus paints the picture. He paints the picture of how we ought to live our lives. And this is radical to them. It blows their minds. It blows their minds so much, they are scared to ever ask him another question, as we see in verse 34. They are just blown away by his response. And I think they're hearing something that that we probably don't hear. You know, it's easy for us to read through this and say, yeah, man, all you need is love. We got it. We got love. As long as we got love, we're set. 
but Jesus turns them upside down. Now remember, he's got those on the far left, and he's got those on the far right, and they're all blown away, and they're all scared, right? What Jesus says is completely radical, and here's what he does. He does two things here. He redefines the content of the law-keeping, and he redefines the motive of keeping the law. In other words, he redefines what we should be doing. Here's the law written. Here's what we're supposed to be doing. He totally redefines. He does something that nobody else has ever done. He redefines what the law is, and he redefines the reason we should be following the law. The reason we should be keeping the law. The content. Redefines the content, and he redefines the motive. The first one is content. So what, what most people said, and if you read some commentaries on this, what most people say is that they were expecting Jesus to respond in such a way, okay, you know, here, why don't you do these two commandments? They said most people in that audience would have been expecting him to respond in that way. Okay, here's the two commandments that are the greatest. If you can kind of follow those, the rest will kind of follow into place. But he doesn't do that, does he? In fact, he doesn't choose any of the Ten Commandments. Instead, he chooses two. He chooses uh, none of the Ten Commandments. He chooses two others. Deuteronomy 6.5 is the first one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Pulls it out of Deuteronomy 6.5. And the second one is Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's just kind of, if you go to Leviticus and you read the law there, the one right after that, it says, hey, don't mate two different animals together. So it just kind of falls into place with everything else, right? And so these are the two that he picks out. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in the book of Matthew, and it's the same story, okay, it just doesn't have the guy's response afterwards, but if you read the story in Matthew, Matthew twenty-two forty adds this statement, and I think it's key. 2240, Matthew 2240 says this, and all the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. What is Jesus saying? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Everything, the entire law, you know those 613 laws you were trying to follow? All hang on these two Love God and love people. Now, what he's not saying, he's not saying, hey, if, as long as you do these two, you don't have to do the rest. He's not saying, hey, love and forget about the law. What he is saying is very radical. Now, he's saying a couple things. First, he's telling us that love defines what it is to live lawfully. Love defines what it is to live lawfully. Now, example. If Jesus is saying every law is basically about love, then it transforms how we look at the law. Take uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay, here's two commandments. Commandment says thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, if we understand the basis of this, okay, I'm not going to have sex outside of marriage. That's what the law says. But in under the basis of what Jesus says, love the Lord your God, it means a whole lot more. Right? It means that I'm going to love my spouse completely. That it's not just about, okay, I'm not going to do this, but you know, go read the Sermon on the Mount, right? Sermon on the Mount's going to tell us the same thing. It's not about not murdering, but it's about not having hate in your heart. See, he totally redefines what the law is about. And uh, take, thou shalt not steal, right? It's easy for us to say, okay, I'm not going to take from somebody else, I'm keeping the law. But if you look at the basis of what Jesus is talking about in, law, in love, it can only be fulfilled if we are radically 
and gladly generous to people around us. See, it's more than just about not taking from somebody, but it's about the generosity and it's about the heart conditions, about being deeply and madly in love with Jesus and our response to that. See, it totally redefines. It also means that the law defines how to live lovingly. The law defines how we should live lovingly. God wrote the law to define what love is. Therefore, love defines what it is to act lawfully, and love defines what it means to act lovingly. This is what the law is. It's why it's in place. It's what Jesus wants them to see that they never understood. See, the Pharisee, he wanted the law to be easier, right? He didn't want it to be so crushing to him. He didn't want it to be so oppressive to him. He wanted something that was easier for him to follow. But what Jesus does instead is he gives him the most positive view you could ever have of the law. I don't know if you're like me. You read through the law, you read through those 613 laws that you can find in there. Man, that looks difficult, doesn't it? Right? It looks hard. It's oppressing because you realize something. You realize, I can't do it. I can't measure up. This Pharisee, this teacher of the law, realized he couldn't do it. He couldn't measure up. There was nothing. As hard as he tried, there was nothing he could do to obtain what he thought was needed to receive blessing and and favor and love from God. As hard as he tried, as much as he did, he couldn't measure up because the law is oppressing. Jesus totally redefines the content. He also realigns not only the content, but he redefines the motive of the law. And we see that. Let me read it again for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the order is there for a reason. Okay, the order is there because if we do not first love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and our strength, then we can never know what it truly is to love our neighbor. You know, we're going to talk about mission. We're going to talk about vision over the coming weeks. But until we truly know what it is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we won't know what it is to truly love others. We won't know what it is to truly love others. Our neighbor. See, the point of the law, and if you would read through the law, what's the law trying to do for us? The law is trying to really put in place to help us get along with others, right? It's preventing us from doing things to others. And if the, the point of the law is love, it's trying to help us learn how to love other people, how to love others. And the answer is simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And through that love flows everything. And if we want to know what it is to serve God and his kingdom, if we want to know what it is to have an impact on this world for Jesus, this is where it begins. It begins with a deep longing, a head over heels, love and passion for our Savior Jesus. This is where it must begin. And if you ever try to, to gain God's love, and if people in the world try to gain God's love, or people try to gain other people's love, or people try to gain uh, even a love for themselves by looking at whether the law or looking at what they should do or shouldn't do, you, you, you realize you never measure up, right? It's the same in our world, to, world today that 
if I try to do good deeds, make me feel better about myself, make others feel better about myself, it's oppressing. And I will never measure up. If I want to carry out mission and vision, what's my motive? Is my motive that, you know what, hey, I want to earn favor with God. I want to earn favor with others. I want to feel better about myself. You will feel oppressed. You will feel that you don't measure up because you won't. 613 laws. There's never enough that can be done to earn favor with God, to earn acceptance with God. That You could go on and on, go back to what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't have love, you can do all the wonders in the world, and without love, it's pointless. The same is true for us. If we talk about vision and mission, if our motive is to find favor with God or others or feel better about ourselves, we will be oppressed and we will never measure up. So these guys are scared. They don't know. Verse 34, this thing turns their world upside down. And the reason is this, because Jesus has shown them, he has taught them, and he has put it in front of them that love and the law, they exist together in imperfect harmony. It's a perfect completion of one another. The love, love itself, and the law. And they hadn't heard it. They hadn't even thought about it. But it was true. And it rocked their world. It shook them. They were so scared, they didn't ever want to ask him a question again. This was a whole new way to them. Have you ever looked at it like that? Have you ever thought about it like that? Because to them, they looked at it, man, they were scared. Have you ever looked at this passage and be like, that, that's scary? That was their response. That should be our response. As we look at this, lo- love the Lord your God, and everything we do should flow out of that love for him. There should be no other motivation other than that we love Jesus. Our motivation shouldn't be to find favor with him, to find favor with people, to find favor or feel better about ourselves, but that we love him. And I want to carry out his mission. I want to carry out the vision because I love him. Everything must flow through this love for him. His response. I love this guy's response. He says, well said, teacher. The man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart with all your understanding and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So this guy's response, okay, it's like he almost gets it, doesn't he? In fact, he takes it to a whole nother level. What's he say? He says it's more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Here's what he's saying. See, see the... What, what the Pharisees taught is, you know, those 613 laws? They knew, everyone knew, that you could not live this out. You, there is no way that you could carry this out. But in their minds, and what they taught, he said, you do this as much as you can. Try as hard as you can. And maybe some of you will get 60%. Maybe some of you get 70% of them. Some of you get 80 Some of you get 90 But for where we fall short and where we fail, you know what we'll do? Burn offerings sacrifices and that'll cover the gap that'll get us there that'll cover the gap that'll be enough but what Jesus tells him and what this guy realizes probably for the first time in his life is that all the burnt offerings and sacrifices aren't enough in fact he says I could burn offerings and sacrifices I could give for the rest of my life and guess what it wouldn't be enough 
to cover the gap. It wouldn't be enough to get in there. Our world is much the same today. He says, if I could do more good than bad, then I'm probably okay. If I can do more good in this world and make an impact in this world more than I do bad things in this world, then I, you know what? I can probably find favor with God. Then I'm, I'm actually having some sort of impact. I'm a good person. And it's the same problem they had here. That here's the 613 laws. As long as I'm carrying most of them out, I'm there. But this guy, in his encounter with Jesus, realized all the burnt offerings and sacrifices I could ever make will never be enough. There is never enough that I can do. Never enough that I could carry out to find that favor. All the burnt offerings and sacrifices would never be enough. So this guy gets it. And what's he get? He gets that he, he lost. He gets that he doesn't fully understand. He gets that the first step is to realize you're lost. And he's there. And Jesus even tells him, you are not far from the kingdom. See, the first step in our lives is to understand that we don't get it. It's to understand that there is never enough that we can do. If there's 613 laws, 612, whatever, there is never enough to obtain it. And for this guy, it's, it seems to click for him. Right here, he says, Jesus tells him, you're close. This is the first step, is to realize as much as you do, as much as you try to obtain, as, as many good works, as much of the law as you try to grasp onto, it's not enough. It's not enough. And that's the first step for anyone. The first step for him, the first step for us. If we want to learn what it is to love God and love people, it begins realizing, hey, we're lost. All that I could do will never measure up. I'm lost. What Jesus doesn't do, and I don't know what happens to this guy. I don't know if he finally gets it. But I know that, at least in this story, doesn't, Jesus doesn't take him the rest of the way. And grace can be complicated, and I don't know what happens to this guy. You know, maybe we'll see him in heaven someday. I, I'm not sure. He was on his way. Jesus told him, you are close. There is a first step, and the first step is to realize you are lost. But there is another step, isn't there? I'm going to ask the band and, and the worship team to come back up, and we're going to enter into a time of communion. It's a time for us to remember Jesus. Here's the deal. The first step is to realize you're lost. The second step is to realize that there is one and only one who has offered that ultimate sacrifice for us. The ultimate sacrifice. See, all the burnt offerings and sacrifices in the world would never be enough. Except there was one. And it was Jesus. Remember that verse we've talked about a lot lately, Mark 10, 45. It's been the, the centerpiece of our study here in Mark. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. A ransom for many. There was one ultimate sacrifice, and that was Jesus himself. And here's the beauty of it. On the cross is the one place where we can actually see this love life, love God, love people, lived out perfectly, in perfection. Jesus went to the cross for God because he loved God and he loved who? He loved us. 
love people. And on the cross, this, this perfection of loving God and loving people was carried out. What a thing, isn't it? An incredible thing. As the world looks at this, and we try, and we try, and we try, and yet we can never achieve favor with God. All we have to do is look to the cross. Look to Jesus. What an incredible thing. And this perfection, this perfection of law and, and love carried out perfectly in Jesus going to the cross. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you that Jesus was obedient, obedient even to death on a cross. God, he, he went to the cross for us, for us. And we know all the work that we would do and all the good deeds we would ever do in our lives will never be enough to cover the gap. But there was one. That is Jesus. And this morning, as we look to the cross and as we take the bread and the juice and remember this incredible thing that Jesus has done, God, this, is, this should change us. This is what should motivate us. This is what should cause us to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our might. This incredible gift, this incredible thing that you have done. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his body broken that we remember in the bread. We thank you for his blood shed, his blood that covered my sin, his blood that covered that gap. And the only thing that can cover that gap Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for me. May that be the thing that motivates us. May that what, 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 what causes us to carry out your mission, to cause us to carry out your vision, that causes us to love our neighbor, to act justly and kindly and to love mercy. Thank you for this incredible thing you've done. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. God love people. I hope this doesn't become so familiar, like, like that gunshot range, right? Where it just becomes second nature. But may it be like, may we hear it like that Pharisee heard it, that he was so moved. I mean, he couldn't believe it. They, they were speechless. They, they didn't even want to ask Jesus another question. Love God, love people. L listen to this. This is uh, words from the great preacher, Jonathan Edwards. He said this, in speaking of the difference between a religious person and a Christian, he says, religious people obey God out of an empty heart, using God to try and fill it with blessings. A real Christian obeys God out of a full heart, simply trying to delight God and the people around us with who he is in himself. May we be motivated by our love for him our great love for him in what he has done for us. Duty or guilt will motivate us for a while, but only the love of Christ will motivate us for a lifetime. If we want to impact the kingdom, if we want to carry out his mission, it happens through loving him and loving people. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you, 
God, for his words about loving God and loving people. God, may this not become so familiar with us that we just push it to the side. But God, may, may, may it invade our soul. May we begin to realize what it is to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and all our strength. And as a result of that, that we would love people. We pray it and we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.